I watched a television program the other day. A man was being interviewed in New York State. He lives opposite a nuclear power plant. He has a beautiful home. It's on a river. And the view across the river is the, this nuclear power plant. And uh, the interviewer said to him, how do you feel about living here in the state of New York with this nuclear power plant just across the river? You know, half a mile across the river. He said, I'm scared to death. He said, I'm scared because I'm afraid that someone's going to hijack a plane. They're going to drive it into this nuclear power plant. We're going to have a meltdown and we're all going to die. Many people are afraid because of the present crisis. Newsweek magazine commented on the President's State of the Union address, which was an outstanding address. And in the area for conventional wisdom, President Bush got an arrow pointing up. He said it was a great speech. The Newsweek editor said it was dynamic, it was patriotic, it was inspiring, and scared us all to death. Said it was scary. They didn't just say it was scary. They used some other language which we wouldn't repeat. They said it was scary. It was a little scary because he spoke about these rogue nations like North Korea and Iraq and Iran that all have got programs to develop destructive forces to wipe out humanity, weapons of mass destruction. If not nuclear, then certainly biological or chemical. I want to tell you today how you can live without worrying about these things. How you can live without fear, without an abiding fear. We all get scared on occasions, but that should not last. The topic of my talk today is but. That's it. B-U-T. But. Now, it may not be the present crisis of terrorism that makes you afraid, but what does a person do when he walks into the doctor's office after he's had previous tests and the doctor says, I'm sorry, I've got bad news for you, but you've got cancer of the pancreas. That's almost totally fatal. Are you afraid? Or if you're a member of the Enron team, just think about it in good faith when the bosses were walking away with millions, you would put all your life's savings. You're about to retire next year. You put everything into Enron stock. And all of a sudden, stuff that was worth, on paper, hundreds of thousands, is not even worth a dime. A lot of people say, if this is a terrifying situation, how am I going to live? My talk today, the title is, But. And I want you to turn to my text, my theme text, please. And that is found in Genesis chapter 45 and verse 8. This is the unlikeliest text for this topic, I will admit. Genesis 45 and verse 8. So this goes back long, long time. Genesis chapter 45 and verse 8. Have you got this text? Genesis 45 verse 8. Joseph is saying these words. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. What on earth does the text mean? The brothers did send him there. He's talking to his brothers. Here is Joseph. And now he's the Zathnath Parnir. He is the number two man in the land of Egypt. He's next to the Pharaoh. 
And the brothers come down to see him and they have this confrontation. And he says to the brothers, it wasn't you who did this. You didn't send me here, but God. Joseph believed that God was in charge of everything that happens to us. So whatever happens, you live next to a nuclear plant. I live next to a nuclear plant, but God. I've walked in to see my doctor today. and My doctor tells me I've got cancer and they can't do anything for it. I've got cancer, but, but God. I work for Enron, at least I did, and I've lost my job and I've lost my life savings and things look dreadful, but I've been laid off in the economic downturn. I don't know how I'm going to pay the mortgage on my house, but, but God, it wasn't you who sent me here, but God. If you know the story of Joseph, and most of you do, you'll know how his brothers, out of a fit of jealousy, said they were going to get rid of this young man. And so they threw him into a pit. Then they took him up out of the pit and they sold him to a group of slave traders. It sounds to me that the slave traders did take him down to Egypt. It does seem to me as though Joseph's brothers had sold him into slavery. But Joseph said, you didn't send me here, but God. Then you know the story how he was sold to Potiphar and Mrs. Potiphar tried to do him in. She tried to get rid of him because he resisted her charms and he's thrown into prison and his feet are put in the stocks. And then you know the story of, of the baker and the butler and the dreams and he's still left there for a long long time but after all this Joseph when he meets his brother says you didn't do this you didn't send me here Potiphar didn't do this Mrs. Potiphar didn't do this but God the Bible teaches the great concept of the super bee the super but. Whatever happens, but God. Have you heard the story of the man who was continually worrying? He was not a prayer warrior, but he was a lifetime warrior. And he was a very big businessman. He dealt with lots and lots of money. And one day, after having a name for being a chronic warrior, being so sad in the face, he was met by one of his friends and his friend said to him, you look like a new man. He said, I'm not worrying anymore. Oh, he said, that's wonderful. You don't worry, you're not fearful. No, he said, I'm, I'm not fearful anymore. He said, why not? He said, I have hired a man who does the worrying for me. <laughs> so he said, I don't have to worry. But he said, you told me your business was... Even though it's gone very well, it's, it's pretty much going on the rocks. He said, so you've got in someone who worries? For yes, he said, I don't worry about a thing. I'm as free as a bird. I don't worry. He said, I'm just interested. Seeing the business was sort of going down, how much are you going to pay this man? He said, well, he said, I'm going to pay him $200,000. Is he going to pay him $200,000? He said, where are you going to get $200,000 to pay that man? He said, I don't know, but that's his first worry. <laughs> now listen, we've got somebody who's supposed to take care of us. And can I tell you, tell you folks something? You're his first worry. He thinks about you and he cares about you. We have somebody who said, you just go to sleep at night and let me stay up and take care of it. So you got cancer? Your wife's leaving you? 
Your husband's leaving you. You found out like the poor bushes over there in Florida that your girl has been arrested. My heart goes out to those folks. I think people think because they're politicians, they don't feel. Of course they feel. So here they've got a daughter who's, you know, who's pretending to be the person she's not and she pretends to be a doctor and she's trying to get this medicine because she's suffering from a, a terrible case of anxiety. And you discover that your kid's certain problems. You discover that your daughter's got pregnant. You discover that you've got cancer. You discover that this great piece of real estate that you thought was worth millions of dollars is worth zilch because now right across the river there is this nuclear power plant and people are scared. Now remember what Joseph said. You think you did this? You didn't do this. You didn't send me here. But God, there's always, my friend, a but God. But God. Today, I want to share with you as much as I can some great truths that help you to roll over fear. I want you to think of this big be today like a great big wheel and it just rolls along and anything that gets in its way is flattened but God it'll flatten your fears I want to share with you some great marvelous truths that perhaps we've never realized before here's the first one God is the sovereign Lord of the universe and he's in charge of everything. I'm sort of glad today that my faith is not in the CIA or the FBI. What on earth were they doing? That's what people are asking. What on earth were they doing? I'm glad today that my faith is not in fighter jet planes. I'm glad that my faith is not in the United States government or in the Australian government. I'm glad that my faith is not in any government because they're not in charge. They're not in charge. Hey, they think they're in charge, but God. John chapter 19, verse 10 and 11. Pilate said, do you refuse to speak to me? Don't you know who I am? Pilate said, do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said, don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, you wouldn't have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. Now the Roman Empire through Pilate said, don't you know that I'm calling the shots here? Don't you know that I could release you? Don't you know I can crucify you? Jesus said, don't you know that you've got no power at all except that is given to you from above? Bin Laden doesn't have the power. The terrorists don't have the power. But God. Supreme power is found in the Lord God who made the heavens and the earth. I want you now to read with me the testimony of one of the greatest dictators the world has ever seen. A guy a bit like Saddam. Would you come over here to Daniel chapter 4? Verse 34 and 35. Daniel chapter 4 and verse 34 and 35, dear hearts and gentle people, as we think today how we can overcome all of our fears. Daniel 4, verse 34 and 35. This man, after he had this mental illness, wrote down these words. He thought he was a big shot 
until the Lord turned him into a beast for a long, long time. Now verse 34, 35. At that time, at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? This is the testimony of one of the greatest dictators that the world ever seen. After he met God, he said, you're in charge of everything and nobody can tell you what you're doing. And nobody can tell you what to do. A number of years ago, I had the privilege of going to Baghdad. I've been there on three or four different occasions. And I took with me a small television crew and some very dear friends of mine, Pastor and Mrs. Jim Neergaard, who are now at Loma Linda University doing some work there. And as we traveled around the city of Babylon, we saw something that was sort of funny, but something that was sort of significant. Everywhere you got pictures of the dictator, Saddam, there you see him. These tremendous big pictures. And right next to him, there's Saddam in profile. And right next to Saddam in profile is Nebuchadnezzar. And so he's showing himself off as the new Nebuchadnezzar. So Jim Neergaard, who's got away with words, he used to call him Neo-Neb. And he'd say, have you seen Neo-Neb? And he'd be talking to the Iraqis and say, boy, what do you think of Neo-Neb? They'd have no idea that he's talking about Saddam, you see. He's not in charge. Nebuchadnezzar was not in charge. And Saddam Hussein, he's not in charge either. Nobody can do anything without the permission of the Almighty God. Now, somebody some years ago wrote a book that I think it was entitled Why Bad Things Happen to Good People, written by a rabbi. And he said, you know, God is a great God, but there are some things that are out of God's hands. He says when a cyclone or a tornado comes or a typhoon or any of those awful things, they just churn along by themselves. God has got nothing to do with those things. If you believe that, then you don't believe in God. Because the very concept of God means he's in charge of everything. He's in charge of everything. People say, where was God on that awful day in September? God was there. But they said God didn't have anything to do with it. God certainly, my friend, did not approve of it. God was against it, but God permitted it. Do you believe that? Well, if you don't believe he permitted it, what sort of God have you got? You got a funny little tin God that you can push around. Jim, Joyce, a cameraman, I went down to Babylon on some occasions and uh, <laughs> we were a bit like Mr. Magoo. We uh, went down there and we climbed up this big mound in Nebuchadnezzar's summer palace Wonderful experience because as we climbed up the mound, we actually disturbed a little jackal. Little jackal ran out of Nebuchadnezzar's old summer palace, exactly as the Bible said. It said it in the book of Isaiah that there'd it be jackals in the palaces. And anyhow, we got up there and we had this great big thing that looked like a bazooka. You carry the tripod, big round thing. You've seen our tripods, big tripod. And, and we had, uh, in fact, Jim was carrying it. I was showing him where it had to go. So <laughs> Jim's a big guy. So he's struggling up the hill carrying this big tripod. And I think I was helping with the camera. Or, but anyhow, we got up there. And all of a sudden, we're surrounded by helicopters. Helicopters everywhere. I thought, boy, we're important. <laughs> all of these helicopters. So we started filming. And uh, then 
panning up the hill and there comes a contingent of soldiers with guns and machine guns and led by an officer and he comes up to us he said what are you doing he said videotaping look through so they had and we showed him we had permission to do this from the Iraqis in Baghdad we said what's wrong we're up on a hill overlooking a road the road was 200 yards away he said all those cars going down there this is a high security place nobody should be within a hundred miles watch this great big thing here he said tripod that was Saddam Saddam Hussein he was down there in the motor car driving past we got through the security network and we were there <laughs> some would say we could have saved the world a lot of trouble but listen, but God, nothing happens without God. Saddam is not in charge of the world. You see? But God, cancer is not in charge of your life. Forces do not just happen in an impersonal way by themselves nothing happens without God this is called the doctrine of the sovereignty of God not everybody believes it and those who don't believe it cannot have peace you see if you don't believe it you will be afraid now come over here to another text, Psalm 31, verses 13 to 15. Psalm 31, back to the words of David who had a marvelous understanding of the doctrine of the sovereignty of God. Psalm 31, 13 to 15. Psalm 31, 13 to 15. For I hear the slander of many, there is terror on every side. They conspire against me and plot to take my life. But I trust in you, O Lord, and I say, you are my God. My times are in your hands. Deliver me from my enemies and from those who pursue me. My times are in your hands. The day, the moment, and the second of my death is known to God. I had an old Bible teacher called Nelson Burns. He was the Bible teacher at Avondale College and the students called him Nubby. Nubby Burns. And Nubby Burns would say to us in his sermons, he would say to us, you are immortal until your work on earth is finished. You are immortal until your work on earth is finished. Nothing can touch you. My hands, my life, my times are in his hands. Because God's in charge. He's in charge of everything. When I get on a plane, it goes through my mind, what say if today is the day? So I'm looking at the person next to me. <laughs> I'm checking out the people in line. Saying, boy, I don't like the length of that guy's hair. <laughs> so you, subconsciously, you're checking out people. They tell you to do this. When I sit down, I immediately turn to the person beside me. I say, I wonder how we do in a tussle. I wonder if I could hold him down. <laughs> Listen, my times are in his hand. Because God is in charge of the breath that we breathe. Nothing can touch you or come to you unless God says, okay. Now you say, but this means that God is a God who apparently lets bad things happen. We believe he lets good things happen. He makes good things happen, but he lets bad things happen. 
Nothing happens without God. Think of Joseph. Talks to his brothers. There they are, as guilty as anything, because they sold him into slavery. And he says, you never did it at all. Well, did they? Well, I reckon they did. He never did it at all. But God. Yes, he was right. Dr. Packer is a well-known theologian. He talks about the providence of God and describes it as the unceasing activity of the Creator whereby, listen, the unceasing activity of the Creator, whereby in overflowing bounty and goodwill he upholds his creatures in ordered existence, guides and governs all events, circumstances and free acts, of angels and men and directs everything to its appointed goal for his own glory. Amazing. Providence, the unceasing activity of the creator whereby in overflowing bounty and goodwill he upholds his creatures in ordered existence for his own glory. One of my favorite books in the Bible is the book of Esther. You know the story of Esther, don't you? You know who the star is? The star is a person by the name of Mordecai. And there is a villain in the story, and what's his name? His name is Haman. He is called that wicked Haman. And there's a beautiful girl in the story, and what's her name? Her name is Esther. And you remember the story that the wicked Haman said out of jealousy, I'm going to have Mordecai hung on the gallows because Mordecai wouldn't kneel down and bow to him. You know the story? And so he builds these big gallows and the gallows are built for the purpose of executing Mordecai. You know what the gallows were, don't you? Hmm? You know what they were, don't you, Eric? They were spikes. The hanging back there was not hanging by the neck. That is civilized. It was hanging by the rib cage. It was called impaling. Or if it wasn't hanging by the rib cage, the person was impaled <coughs> straight down. And so they were going to impale Mordecai. But the night before they're going to impale Mordecai, and God is not mentioned here at all. He's not mentioned here. Did you know that? He's not mentioned there in the book of Esther. Did you know that? The night before Mordecai is going to be impaled, the king goes to bed and he can't sleep. Why can't he sleep? He can't sleep. And so he calls, imagine if you can't sleep, asking somebody to come and read you history books. So he asks for history books to be brought. They bring in the chronicles. And when they roll out the scroll, or whatever they were using, when they open the book, you know where it falls open? At the story of Mordecai, how he saved the king's life. Why couldn't he sleep? Why did he ask for history books? Why, when the page was turned over, was there the story of Mordecai? And so he says, who is this Mordecai? Ah, he saved your life, my lord. And so the next day, along comes Haman. Struts in, and he says, I have something, to just a moment. Just a moment, Haman. What shall be done to the man whom the king delights to honor? Why does he ask that question? Why does he set it up that way? Why doesn't the king say, let's do something nice for Mordecai? He says, what shall be done to the man whom the king delights to honor? Haman says, whom could the king wish to honor more than me? He says, let him be clothed in beautiful robes. Let him be placed on a horse. Let a prince lead him through the streets and say, thus shall be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Oh, he said, Haman, that's a touch of genius. 
go and do this to one that is called Mordecai. Listen, that was the day when Mordecai was going to be put to death. Why didn't the king, Xerxes, reward Mordecai at the time of the good deed? Why was it overlooked? Why could the king not sleep that night? Why did the king get an historian? And why did the book fall open to the story of Mordecai? And when he asked the question, why did he phrase it in such an interesting way? But God. 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 He's not mentioned, but he was there. Nothing happened without the express purpose and plan and power of God. Because he's in charge of everything. This doctrine is the great doctrine of the sovereignty of God. And remember the words, if God is not Lord of all, he is not Lord at all. But God. You didn't do it, but God. That's the first truth. Here's the second one. Number one, God is in charge of everything. He's sovereign Lord. Number two, God is all wise. Our Father knows what is best for us. Come over here to Romans 11.33. And that something may even be sickness on occasions. Romans 11.33. Romans 11:33 Oh the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor who has ever given to God that God should repay him for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever amen God knows best on occasions every one of us asks the question why me we never ask the question why not me we always ask why me the wisdom of God can you imagine in your living room where you have a large color television set that one day an ant pays you a visit and this precocious little bull ant comes in across your carefully manicured carpet and climbs up the leg of the television set and he climbs in the back and looks at all the wonderful things there. How much does the ant know about the colored te television set? A little. A very little. How much do we know about anything? We are the cosmic ants. The riches of the wisdom of God. But God. Think of a patchwork quilt such as they make in Tennessee. All the little squares carefully sewn together and an ant climbs into bed with you on a cold night but he offers you very little warmth because of his incapacity to cuddle and so here comes this tiny little ant and he crawls under the patchwork quilt and he sees a little bit of stitching how much does he know of the overall plan he lacks the capacity to stand back and to take it all in. The first truth, God is all-powerful, and the second truth is 
He knows everything. And the third great, and he, not only does he know everything, because there is such a thing as knowledge, and the world today is filled with knowledge. And most of it is trivia. That's why some people waste their lives getting into chat rooms on television, talking about nothing that matters. People say, oh, I've got all this information, so what? Who cares? How much wisdom have you got? So God has more than knowledge. He has all knowledge, but he has more, more than knowledge. God has all wisdom. He is all wise. He knows what is best for me. And the third great truth is that God has a master plan for the world. His kingdom will come. Nothing can stop it. He has a plan for the nation of America. And that plan will be accomplished. You cannot stop the tide from coming in. It comes in. But especially he has a plan for the believer. Especially for the believer. We're told in the book of Romans, in all things... God works for the good of those who love him. In all things, the King James Version says, all things work together for good to those who love him, to those who are the called according to his purpose. He has an eternal purpose that was formulated before the world was. All things work together for good. Nothing is an accident in his plan. Remember this. For a believer, there are no accidents in his plan, even including the visit to the doctor when he says you have cancer. Let me give you a tiny illustration that some of you have heard before. When we bought this beautiful property, what a story there is in this great property. We've been in here only for a relatively short time. Two years ago, we were not in this building and we were wondering whether we were going to get it. I had prayed for years because of the problems we had with the other place. And then the realtor said to me, sent me a card. He said, there's a place in Pasadena you ought to go and look at. So I got in my car and I drove over and I met the, the realtor whose name was Mr. Church. <laughs> Patrick Church. May his name live forever. <laughs> Patrick Church. He said, here is the building. I said, fine. He said, like that detective on television? Columbo, <laughs> that you should know nothing about. He said, alas, I do not have a key. He said, can you come back in four hours? I said, certainly not. I'm a man who has an atomic clock. You're going to have me come back in four hours because you forgot the key? So he said, uh, well, said my friend, Mr. O'Reilly. Now he was talking a language I could understand. Mr. O'Reilly, who probably came from Tipperary like my grandfather. He said, but there's another place in Arcadia that you may want to look at. I said, I don't want to look at it. He said, why not? I said, it's too far away. I was getting up tired. I said, I'm not going to go. He said, it's 10 minutes drive. I said, no, I don't want to go. You forgot, your friend forgot the key. How can I have confidence in an organization whose prime mover forgets the key? Is this how you would run a business? I would fire such a person who <laughs> He said, it's in Arcadia. So I drove reluctantly. Could you imagine Rex Edwards using the word reluctantly? <laughs> I drove reluctantly here. And when I came here, brought me in here, I said, this is it. This is it. How much? 
three and a half million. He said, could you raise the deposit, which would be a million and a half? Oh, yes, be no problem at all. <laughs> you see, but God, but God, I didn't want it. I didn't want to come. I was stubborn and all those things, but I was in the hand of God. But God, you see. So God has got a plan and a purpose. One per man who offered to promised me a certain amount of money and promised on a stack of Bibles that he'd give me the money and all of those things at the last moment reneged. That's pretty awful to make a pledge and break your pledge to God. You then become a liar before the throne of God. Terrible thing to make a pledge for the work of God and then because you're just an old Scrooge, you won't do it. Well then, the phone rings. Mr. So-and-so wants to talk to you. Anne takes the phone call. Can I talk to Pastor God? He's too busy. He comes in, oh, Pastor Carter, Mr. So-and-so wants to talk to you by telling you you're too busy. <laughs> Goodness. He's never called me before. Did he leave a phone number? <laughs> Lord, have mercy upon me and upon this woman. And so I call him that night, wondering whether he'll be mad with me. He's, he's, he talks to me and he says, if I gave you 100,000, would that be acceptable? I should thank you. He said, I'm not sure I'll do it, but I'll think about it. And so when they open the mail, Susie opens the mail and she comes in ecstatic and happy and joyful. What a day it was. And she said, look, 200,000. But God, but God, so God was there in good things, and he's there in bad things. So we say, you know, these bad things come from the devil. Yes, they do, but God. Don't you think God's in charge of the devil? Yeah. Then there was a bank. I will reveal them. The Bank of the West, they came to us. They gave us to believe that we were going to get the loan. And then at the end, they just pulled the rug out from under us. We almost lost the building because we ran out of time. That was awful. But then through the providence of God, somebody put us in contact with the Spanish bank. The Spanish bank. I didn't think they'd have any money. <laughs> they put us in contact with Banco Popular. Will all my Hispanic friends say Amen. And praise the Lord. Okay. <laughs> and we met Ken Westby. He was a Canadian. <laughs> he came in here and he said, I've driven past this place and I pray that the day would come when the gospel would be preached here. Because it hasn't been preached here so far. He walked around here and then told me how he'd come to know Christ during a Billy Graham crusade. We had about two weeks before the contract collapsed, banks take months doing anything. They had everything done, the appraisal done, everything done. You know, checking to see if we were sitting on oil or anything like that, or whether we had a, there was a nuclear bomb in here. They do all those things. They, they got us the money on time. When they brought in the loan, they brought it in lower than they'd quoted us. And he said to me, when he invited me to come into his office, he said, come in, pastor, and see the great things the Lord has done for his people but God. So all things work together for good. God's got a plan. God's got a purpose and he's in charge. And here's the next great truth. God loves you and me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. When disaster strikes, but God, and he's a good God. When cancer comes, but God. When terrorism comes, but God. When you live next to our nuclear power station, but God. When you find out that your kids are on drugs, but God. But a God of love, not just any God. 
It has been said, God in his love always wills what is best for us. Listen. God in his love always wills what is best for us. In his wisdom, he always knows what is best for us. And in his sovereignty, he has the power to bring it about. And the next truth is this. God has promised to the humble believer eternal life. Now, if I didn't have eternal life and if I was sitting on a nuclear power station, I'd be scared too. But if I die today, is it a big deal? Not if I'm right with God. If you and I die today and we're not right with God, it's a pretty big deal because the next thing we know is going to be the lake of fire. Say, I don't know about that. It's awful, but it's true. It's true. You know, I drive in 65 miles to get here. And as I was moving along today, you know, there's cars cutting in here and cars cutting in there. And I was coming over once and a big truck went past me. He must have been moving to go past me. He went past me. When he got past me, he swung in front of me and went straight into the center divider. You know, stuff went up in the air. That could be my day. But God. But imagine if you die and you don't have Christ and you're not in a saved condition. Well, I can understand why people are scared to death about dying. I can understand that. I won't forget that over in Sydney where I was the pastor of our big church there in Warunga, biggest church down there in the South Pacific, on the campus of the greatest hospital I think in the world with a staff of a couple of thousand, has the best pathology department according to the United Nations of any hospital in the whole wide world, great institution. I can remember the things that happened there. And I can think of the handiwork of God. And I can think of talking to Dr. Tom Ludowisi, who was instrumental under God for my conversion, telling me about an Anglican Church of England hospice up the road and saying, when people come here, there are two categories. They die, usually with some pain. There's one big religion, they die in terror, fearing the flame. So other people who die, they're very wealthy people. They live on the north shore of Sydney. When they die, they die in terror. But he said, when simple believing Christians come in, they die with peace. Sometimes happy. Family around singing hymns. But God. So my sermon today is summed up in one word. But. Terrorism, but. Cancer, but. State of the Union address, but. Saddam Hussein, nuclear bombs, but. And if you can have peace with those big things, what about the minor irritations? Like a fender bender or something else. but God. Amen. Let us kneel as we pray. Dear Father, I thank you today for these beautiful people in this church. Bless every person who is here today. We think of the wider audience of many, many thousands, tens of thousands who are watching this telecast now. Many hearts that are filled with fear across this great land of the United States and around the world. People wonder what's going to happen next. The Secretary of Defense has said, hey, what happened in September is just going to look like a little thing compared with what's going to come because we know that the terrorists are making atom bombs and doing all sorts of things. Even Newsweek said when they listened to the president give that great speech at the State of the Union address, 
Great speech, but scary. The Bible tells us in the last days, men's hearts will be failing them for fear because of the things that are coming upon the world. But our Father, we've found the solution today. But God. Whatever happens, but God. My home is destroyed, but God. I'm diagnosed with a terminal illness, but God. The terrorists attack our country with nuclear weapons, but God. I know that God is in charge, therefore I will not fear. I know that God is all wise, therefore I will not fear. I know that God has a plan for my life, therefore I will not fear. I know that God is a God of love. He won't let anything happen to me that is not ultimately for my good. Therefore, I will not fear. And God has promised me everlasting life through faith in his son, Jesus. Therefore, I will not fear because my life is hid with Christ in God. And today, I am a happy person. Today, we are happy here in this church. Today, we have peace in our hearts. And as the preacher said, I've gone to the top of the mountain, I've climbed the mountain, and I have seen the promised land. And today, our Father, we have stood on the top of the mountain, and we've looked out and we've seen the promised land because of God. Teach us today to trust you, God. Teach us today to know you, God. As we're praying in our church today with our heads bowed and our eyes closed in the presence of God the Father Almighty, who will raise a hand and say, I want today to have a personal relationship with the Lord God of the universe and I want to learn to trust him and have faith in him. And I put today my fears and my worries in his hands. Would you raise your hand as you say that today? And remember, we have someone who will worry for us. He takes care of us. We're not going to be afraid. We're going to have peace. and We're going to have joy because of the big bee that rolls through the world rolls over every obstacle but God. And so we believe today in God. And we submit our lives today to God. And we worship you, our Father, and we thank you today for the peace that fills our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.